27 this morning. Numbers chapter 27. Look at a kind of sad passage as Moses is being instructed that he's going to die soon. He's given advance notice. It's not always. Of course, we're all given advance notice too, aren't we? To be absent from the bodies and be present with the Lord. But his advance notice is uh, it's going to be short. But interestingly, he, he's, he's allowed to give one last sermon. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is a sermon. We could, we could excuse uh, Moses for... Uh, takes about two hours to read the book of Deuteronomy and uh, so he had a couple hours to preach his last sermon I guess you'd forgive me if I knew that I was going to die tomorrow that you'd give me two hours to preach a message today but I can assure you I haven't planned on a two hour message chapter 27 beginning with verse 12 and the Lord said unto Moses Get thee up into this mountain, Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes." That is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. That the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him, after the judgment of Urim and before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Someone was told that she has cancer, and her response was, I don't have time for this. Well, we can be sure of this, that if Jesus tarries to return, God will continue to be long-suffering towards sinners, but we will have to take time to die. We can know this, if we live long enough, we're going to die. (laughs) 
If we live long enough, we're going to get sick or we're going to have an accident or we're going to sleep our last sleep during the night, our final night of sleep. Many ways in which we'll be taken into eternity. and We need to all be ready. We all don't know the day of our death. We don't know the, the, uh, the means of dying. It happened, and you know you've read of people that have just fallen down, jogging, and died, or didn't wake up in the morning, or like someone I read about with his two young daughters was in an airplane, and it just plummeted into the ocean the other day. Gone. We just don't know. But I know this, we will take time to die. We might say, I don't have time to get sick. I don't have time to die. I have so many things to do. But we need to prepare to die. The Bible gives us many, many passages that indicate that we need to be ready to meet the Lord. We have a verse on the sign out front. Prepare to meet thy God. There is a way of preparing to meet the Lord. We need to ask what that preparation consists of. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 2 says, there is a time to die, a time for every purpose under the sun. So this even indicates that death has a purpose to it. What may be a purpose or purposes of death? Well, it proves sin. The Bible says that death comes by sin. The Lord told Adam that if he sinned, that he would die. Death is a way in which God wakens us to flee from the wrath to come. It makes room for the gospel. There are passages in Ecclesiastes that say that that death is better than life. That people consider their ways when they confront death. And anymore today, people want to, to uh, get rid of the solemnity of, of viewings and funerals. But the Bible tells us, no, let death have its work in our hearts. God uses the concept of truth of death to facilitate his truth. And here, God will use it as a way of transitioning from one leader to another. The Lord alerts Moses that it's time to die. Again, not all of us will have such advance notice. Moses has been a faithful leader for about 40 years. He never gets to step foot into the promised land. A faithful leader in the desert, in the wilderness. 40 years before that, he was a faithful shepherd. The Lord saved him out of Egypt. He could have been perhaps the next Pharaoh. He was, you remember, uh, swept out of the, uh, the River Nile and was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And yet, after 40 years in the palace, pampered in Egypt, the Lord worked in his heart. His mother and his father's Instruction, even the reading of scripture for those short that short time 
when he was with them for a few months, the Lord used. Certainly, uh, God can, can work in a child who's away from the Lord and who's been raised properly in the fear of God and work in a latter time. And Moses forsook Egypt, the Bible says, and was willing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he chose, the Bible tells us, he chose Christ over, over riches, the riches in Egypt, the reproach of Christ over the riches of Egypt. So he's been faithful for 80 years, faithful as a shepherd. You know, how do you do in your own profession, whether it be a shepherd or a seamstress or a barber or a chimney sweeper or a cab driver? You serve the Lord where, where you are. This afternoon we'll be considering John the Baptist's message to tax collectors and to, and to the people and to soldiers. What shall we do if, now that we've repented of our sins? And he didn't tell them to change their occupations. He said, you serve the Lord where you are. You be faithful. You be truthful. You be humble. You be generous. So Moses is it's Moses' time to prepare for heaven. Verse 13 says, Thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people. That's a euphemism for death. Well, what a wonderful thought. We'll be gathered to our people, to God's people. It's a, it's a reuniting of God's people. Yes, the Bible says we're going to die. The Bible says that we're going to... Uh, to be with the Lord. The Bible says we're going to sleep in Jesus, but it says we're going to be gathered unto our people. What a wonderful thing it is. Tiny and I were talking about that last night. To think about meeting Moses. It just sounds so surreal and so incredible that you and I, we know Christ and we die in Christ and our sins are forgiven by the sacrifice of Christ, we're going to be able to sit down with Moses and Joshua and Esther, all the saints who've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And of course, you and I know that we'll see Jesus face to face and tell the story saved by grace. The baton, though, must be passed. The Lord has new leaders. The Lord has ordained government in the church. The gift of teaching and the gift of government are distributed by the Lord. There are many gifts, many body members, as Paul used that illustration of a body, with members. We're all members of the body of Christ if we're in Christ. Some of us may be fingers or hands or ears or feet. But we all have a place in the body. And when one is missing, the body is, is weak. It's weakened. It's, it's, not, it's not able to function. I'm glad that my left hand didn't decide to stay home this morning. 
I know it sounds so, so uh, incredible, but Paul uses that kind of language. And there are those who will say, I'll just decide I'm not going to make public worship today. So there, there may be the hand that stays home. We're missing a hand today, if, that, if that's the case. But the Lord, Old Testament, New Testament, in his church has gifts. You can see the list of gifts, for instance, in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, Ephesians chapter 4. Interesting gifts in the church. The gift of discernment of spirits, the gift of helps, the gift of, of teaching, uh, the gift of government, those that can manage, and just all kinds of gifts that are wise for us to, to consider and say, what is my gift? And you look at these gift lists. And the Lord could have just said, I'll take over and I'll just rule and, and uh, there will be no gifts. I'll be the one that's the gifted one. And he is. Jesus had, as we believe, all the gifts, didn't he? And yet it pleased the Lord to distribute gifts to his people to use for the edification of his body, of the church, and the glorification of his name. We don't just decide which gift we want. It's not a gift. It's not, there's not a gift shop. When we get saved, we go in this gift shop and say, well, I'd like to have that gift or this other gift. No, the Lord is the one that decides what gift that we receive. And certainly we see in this passage that he has the gift he gives the gift of, of leadership, of government. And we see here that Moses, when he's told to die, he doesn't argue with the Lord, please give me some more years. And we know there, there was a passage, there is a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 3 where at one point Moses said, please let me go into the land. Please let me go into the land. And the Lord said, Moses, I don't want to hear any more of the matter. You and Aaron have forfeited your opportunity. God made up his mind. And uh, that's the challenge to parents, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard for us to say no and to keep our word to our children. And instead, of, instead of being parenting them and, and being authoritative for their, for their help, we coddle them, as it were. And like one man said about about America. The strange thing about America is how the parents obey their children. <laughs> well, that shouldn't be the case. Neither should it be the case that parents are dictatorial and mean, nor should we be puppets. The Lord was in authority, and he made up his mind. And here Moses doesn't argue. Notice, when the Lord tells him that he's going to die. He's going to be gathered into his people. And he reiterates it's because of his rebellion. Remember when Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, he struck it. Brought attention to himself. He distracted attention to the Lord from the Lord to himself. And the people saw his wrath and his anger instead of seeing the grace of God. And, and the water came out anyway. God's grace but the attention was distracted from God's glory. We don't want to 
detract from the Lord and bring attention to ourselves. By the way, that's one of the practical reasons why preachers wore robes in the old days, to hide themselves, to hide, you know, not having, wanting to draw attention to what they were wearing, to what ties they may have had on, but just to plain black or dark brown, just to hide the preacher, to bring attention to the Lord. I'm not advocating that we go back to robes, but I am challenging us. He must increase. We must decrease, like John the Baptist said. Let's point one another to the Lord. But notice what Moses says in verse 16. He doesn't argue. He doesn't say, please let me go into the land. He accepts the chastening. He accepts God's final word. But he's, look at his heart. His heart isn't, well, if, if, I won't, if I can't lead them in, then hope they aren't let in. He doesn't have that kind of attitude. He says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, in other words, the sovereign Lord, the one who owns the soul of every person. Lord, set a man over the congregation. See how he calls the people a congregation, a church, the people of God, not just a, na- a, nation, a nation, not just a political nation, not just a military people, but a spiritual people, a congregation. Set a man over them, Lord, that may go out before them and may go in before them and which may lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Do Do you notice those words? Do they ring a bell? That they be sheep which have no shepherd. You see, Moses is Christ-like. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew? Of other places as well. We're told when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And that was Moses' spirit. Lord, please give him a shepherd, an under-shepherd, that will lead the sheep. And so the challenge today is that God is continuing leadership among his people. The baton has to pass. The torch has to pass. We're dying. And are, we, are we seeing a new generation raised up to fear the Lord? New leadership? Knowing that our time is limited. Sooner or later we're going to have to pass the baton. Remember I read that passage yesterday that the priests were to serve from 30 to 50 years. But it gives a very very brief passage about the fact that even though you retire from the heavy work, like carrying the pieces of parts of the tabernacle, that they were, they were allowed to be, keep the charge of the, of the tabernacle. In other words, they were allowed to be policemen. 
that would be a neat thing to do to just be able to, to be an usher, to be, to be someone who watches over the flock. And these days, churches have to have men looking out for people who want to do damage to the people of God. Just walking out in the, in the uh, parking lot to make sure there's no strange character that wants to hurt God's people. That's not a bad job for a, for a retired person, is it? But we find here several aspects about leadership that have universal application. You have the principle of leadership here. There's a slight difference, obviously, with the church today. Joshua would be the captain of the Lord's people, the general of the army as well as the the main leader. Certainly a type of Christ. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the head of the church. Joshua was, like Moses, just a human being, a sinner saved by grace. But they were pictures of Christ. Christ would be the head of the church. and He had no sin. He was not a sinner saved by grace. He was sinless, coming to save sinners by his grace. Exodus 18, you remember, Moses had taken the instruction of his father-in-law Jethro and said, these are the kind of men that should be leaders, spiritual leaders in the church, those who fear God, those who are men of truth, those who hate covetousness, so they're to be just and holy, they're to fear God, they are to be those who hold fast the faithful word that we read together. They're men of truth, we read from Titus 1. There are qualifications of elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Hating covetousness, we're told in the pastorals, not, that ministers are not, and elders are not to be greedy. So, how often we find that, that elders and ministers fall because of greed and immorality, but we're told that elders are to be faithful in their covenant relationship with their wives. Moses would say in Numbers later that I, can, I can't, I'm not able to bear the burden. Many of these elders that were chosen way back in Exodus passed on, passed away. And Moses said, I'm not able to bear the burden of these new generations. And the Lord said, gather 70 of the elders together. Verse 16 of Numbers 11. Jesus gives the list of apostles and prophets. These have passed on. Evangelists, pastor teachers or ministers. And of course, he gives us the list of elders and deacons. These are gifts to the church, especially teachers and governments. Just this passage in particular points out. You see, the church is a theocracy. We don't have, like Israel had, had an army. They also had, um, there were also political leaders and religious leaders. The church is a religious uh, organism. It's a theocracy. God is the, the king. But we aren't, we aren't uh, pointing forth a a political agenda. We're not an army that is military, though the Bible says that we 
are those that put on the whole armor of God. And we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this age. So the principle of leadership is indicated way back here in this passage. But the Lord cautions us about the frailty of leadership. He's not seeking to embarrass Moses and humiliate him when he says, you rebelled against me, you and your brother Aaron. This is a passage taught to teach us about the dangers of deifying leaders. We're but sinners saved by grace. Aaron and the priests and the leaders also had to put their hands upon the animal's head as a picture of transferring their guilt to the animal. Aaron was a sinner saved by grace. So was Moses. So was Joshua. We need to be careful that we don't idolize leaders. Moses says, The Lord was angry with me, Deuteronomy 4.21. And he said, Speak no more of me of this matter. Again, this is to caution us that leaders need to be alert that we're sinners saved by grace. Positions of leadership can go to the heads of arrogant people. God help us. And whatever gift that we possess from the Lord, that we use it humbly. We use it for God's glory. I need your prayers as the devil would tempt me or any of us to be exalted in our gifts. To caution followers to not be deceived about the depravity of those who are leading them. We're all sinners saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Jesus is the Savior, the sinless one. We're speaking for him. We're acting for him. We're serving him. It's his church. He's the head of every single true church of God. I'm dying as I speak. My body is dying. I'm going to go the way of all the earth sooner or later, and it's going to be sooner than later. It's the God of all flesh that's to be glorified. If it please the Lord, this would be our prayer that this church would continue on that God would save sinners and raise up young people to worship him and to continue to preach the gospel, edify the saints and evangelize sinners. I don't know if that's true. This church has been in existence, as Dan indicated earlier, since about the, the, the latter part of the 1980s. There are churches that are hundreds of years old. We're young. But not every church has promised to have a second generation of leaders. If it pleased the Lord, that would be our desire. We're frail. We're sinful. We need every day fresh grace. We need the blood of Jesus every day. Oh, that Jesus would put his hand upon every message, that it would be owned of him. Without him, no sermon can change us. No lesson can change us. It's the word of God that changes us. Pray that the word of God is taught and preached 
every single time from this pulpit. We're all longing like they did. They were longing for a perfect leader. They realized Moses wasn't perfect. He had to be rebuked by the Lord. And they would find, realize that Joshua wasn't perfect. Joshua wouldn't seek the Lord after the first victory of, of, of his, in, his, in his tenure. You remember when, when Jericho was taken, Joshua took it for granted that God was going to be with them and they were routed at, I remember. He didn't seek the Lord. And at times we're prayerless. At times we're presumptuous. That if God blessed us yesterday or God blessed us last week, he surely will bless us this week. We need to pray that he'll bless us this week. We'll know, we need to pray every day for his grace. You know, Jesus was sinless, but we never read, him, read about him being prayerless. He was always praying. Before he, Break of day, as the, as the day ended, he went up in the mountain to pray. Jesus was always praying. He wasn't presumptuous. He wasn't presumptuous even about his deity. He was God. He was prayerful, trusting the Lord. Here's the heart of leadership. Moses doesn't complain or ask any more for God to change his mind. Let the Lord set a man over the congregation. He has a love for the people. He wants them to be led by godly men. He called them a congregation. He, was, he cared for them. He had a concern for their souls. It says in 1 Timothy 3, a bishop should de- desire the office of a bishop. It's not the idea to covet leadership, but that his heart's in it. He's He's concerned about the right kind of leadership. He's concerned about the care of the sheep, not coveting the power of a bishop, but concerned over the oversight of the Lord's people. Moses had the heart of leadership, and all leaders should have a heart for those who follow. Who is sufficient for these things? We're going to give account one day. The Bible says we're going to give account to God over our leadership. Did you flog or fleece the sheep or did you feed them? Did you care about their souls, their growth, or just because you got a salary? Do you care for people? The heart of leadership is important. And as people choose their elders and choose their ministers, they should consider the condition of their hearts. The role of leadership. Notice, leadership. Let let him go in or go out before them. That speaks of courage. That they take the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy money, but of a ready mind, and and not as lords over God's inheritance, but as examples to the flock, as Peter would say, 1 Peter 5 to go out before them. Not that they're sending the sheep out in front of them, but they're going out in front. They're, they're in the lead. They're not the hireling that flees when the wolf comes. They're right there to face the wolves and not to let the sheep be eaten. They go out before them. As Jesus said, he went out and he came in. 
They might go out and come in, but he's always in the lead. He's always the one taking the hit. To go out before them, they had to, a man with courage. To go in before them, a faithful person that's always there. He's always in the flock. He's not absentee. He's to lead them out, Moses says. A man who guides, who's able to help the sheep navigate in the world, to be a witness to the world and not to be, not to be engulfed by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. That we need to be taught how to navigate in a sinful world and to remain holy and humble and helpful and not to be become worldly and to think that we need to become like the world to reach the world, but to be holy as God is holy. And to bring them in covenant loyalty, to love, have a love for the church and to teach faithfulness. So character, 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 example is so critical in the role of leadership, the type of the Lord Jesus Christ holy and harmless. What a Savior. He's the good shepherd. Notice the rule of leadership. Our standard, he's to respect the priesthood of Eliezer. In this case, Moses had direct contact with the Lord. For Joshua was to have the help of the priesthood of Eliezer. In other words, a picture of intercession. We need the intercession of Christ. We need the intercession, may I say, of saints who are priests. Leaders need your prayers. We all need one another's prayers. We all need intercession to pray for one another, to keep us from falling, to keep us from covetousness, from immorality, from unbelief, from cowardice. We covet the prayers of the saints. And we covet the prayers of the mediator, the only mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should often pray, Lord, pray for me. We're but flesh. We're frail flesh. Lord, we're weak. We need your strength. We're sinful. We need your forgiveness. We're ignorant. We need your wisdom. Help. Help, Lord. Help. We need wisdom from God that they might ask counsel of the Lord. Interesting, he mentions the word Urim, a strange phenomenon in the Old Testament. The priests had Urim and Thummim. Must have been two different stones. We don't know what their shape or color was. But somehow the priests used the Urim and the Thummim to seek counsel from the Lord, apparently for very difficult cases. It's just a principle there that we need to seek the Lord for answers, for wisdom, for direction, for guidance. Lord, I need wisdom. Open the passage. How does it divide? What's the theme? How is it to be preached? You see, there's so much involved. Look at the size of the Bible. How do we preach the whole counsel of God and not just our pet peeves? And not just the easy passages? Who is sufficient for these things? We need wisdom from God. He tells us to feed the sheep. And yet, Lord, I'm a sheep. I need to be fed. How can I feed the sheep unless I'm fed first? And then how do I feed the sheep? How do I make it clear? How do I apply it? How do I exposit it? 
How do I understand it? Well, the struggle of ministers in the study. Oh, that you would pray for ministers in the study. At times we just, I can't understand. I'm just so thick. How often have I prayed, Lord, I'm a pygmy. Help. They need the word. They need to be fed. And I can't understand it. It isn't developing. We need wisdom from God. We need your prayers. But the interesting thing is the word Urim begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the word Thummim begins with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's Aleph and Tau, like, like um, Alpha and Omega, A and Z. But someone suggested, it's, it's, the main point here is the complete revelation of God. The whole counsel of God is to be sought. And whatever matter is, is concerned about, like earlier, you notice, first part of chapter 27, these five sisters, six, whatever, a bunch of sisters were concerned that since their father died and they didn't have any brothers, that the land wouldn't be, they wouldn't be able to inherit the land. And it would leave their family. And the, Moses brought their matter to the Lord. And he gave him wisdom and said, yes, women can inherit the land if they don't have any brothers. It should pass to the sisters, the daughters. And so what a comfort it is to women that they were not mistreated as so often they are in this world. But then later, some people came forward and said, wait a minute, make sure that they marry in the, in the tribe. Because if they marry outside the tribe, then the it's not just a family matter, it's a tribal matter. And so, indeed, the Lord said, yes, but make sure all the daughters marry inside the tribe. I think it was uh, Simeon, but in any case, it's just interesting how no matter what concern is brought before the church, God's word has the answer. The Lord has the answer. The Lord will help us to navigate in this world and in this maze of, of the world and all of the decisions that need to be made and all the intricacies of life and all the difficulties of the church and all the sins of the church, who is sufficient for these things? The Lord is sufficient. The Lord is sufficient. Our sufficiency is of Him. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. What rule hath God given us whereby we may Glorify and enjoy him forever. The word of God contained in the Old and the New Testaments is the only rule in which we may glorify and enjoy him forever. This is the standard of God's people, of God's leaders. We see next the recognition of leadership in verses 22 to 27. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer. Eliezer literally means the Lord who helps. And it says that he set him before all the congregation because this man was called to a particular people. In other words, his calling was, was recognized by the people. They would recognize that he was a man experienced. Moses laid his hands upon him, we're told, and Part of Moses' honor, it says there, would be transition would be passed on to, 
to Joshua. But the people need to recognize their leader, that this is God's man for God's moment, God's charge. Gave him a charge to be obedient, to be faithful, to be holy, to be responsible, to be accountable. It was Peter that said, the elders are among you, not above you, not away from you, but they're among you. They're, they're to be seen. They're to be, they're to be challenged. They are to be respected, but they are not above accountability. It's a good passage, this is, for the placement of ministers, elders, and deacons in our churches today. So we see that the baton is being passed from Moses to Joshua. Joshua would, find, would, would, would not fail to, to lead the people into the promised land to be a faithful leader. But again, he was a sinner saved by grace, and the Bible tells us the day came when Joshua died. Didn't live as long as Moses. Moses lived to be 120. We're never going to make there. Joshua lived to be 110. We're not going to get there either, are we? You see, they were sinners but saved by grace. Finite and mortal men. And then Joshua would have to pass the baton on. And the baton continued to pass. And David took the baton as God's shepherd and God's leader. But the day came when David had to die and he had to pass it. And it kept passing and kept passing. Is there not a leader that will hold the baton forever? Will we have to keep passing on the torch? Is there not a greater than Moses, a greater than Joshua, a greater than David? There is. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has the baton. He's the head of the church. He will not die and pass the torch. It resides with him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are under shepherds. We are all sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep. And he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We will be with him forever and ever. So the transition passed until the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ, took the baton. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The government is upon his shoulder. And he will show us that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What does it say? And and his government and his peace shall never end. Never end. He continueth ever. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the greater Moses and Joshua, this Jesus. Interesting, Joshua is the same name that Jesus is. Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus was Greek. Joshua, Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. The difference is, Joshua took the name as an as a indicator 
God will save his people from their sins. But when Jesus took the name, it says, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus isn't pointing to a savior by taking the name Joshua. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the savior. There is none else. Behold your God. we can be sure that God will continue his leadership in the church with gifts of teaching and government and helps. He will build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he is the head above all leaders. And forever and ever, he will lead us into glory, into eternity, and always shepherd his sheep. Always be our, our God and our shepherd. We praise him for his mercy. Oh Lord, we thank thee that you never leave us shepherdless. You never leave us comfortless. We thank thee that you have left us your spirit as you have ascended to heaven and you are poised to return again, but even from the right hand of God, you are shepherding your, your sheep, you are building your church, you are defeating our enemies, you are adding to the church, you are saving sinners. What a king and what a shepherd you are, Lord. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd, we shall not want. We thank thee, Father, for him. And it is our desire that we will glorify him, that we will point souls to him, point one another to him. Please forgive us where we have distracted from him unto ourselves. Forgive our pride. Please help us to have the conviction of John the Baptist, how he burned out for you. Such a short ministry, but how he rejoiced at the voice of the bridegroom and he had a heart conviction that you must increase and he must decrease. Well, let that be a conviction of ours, Lord. We're dying, we're, we're aging, we're passing on. But, oh God, if it please you that this church would continue, you'd raise up godly leaders and believers, we would ask that. But until, oh Lord, our lives, are, our days are, 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 are ended, May we be faithful to thee. Help us to be faithful to you. Bless us and make us a blessing. Glorify your name, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn together to number 452. Oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, 452. 